you were in front. Usually I'm in, in the lead. For some reason, you were in the front and you were just marching along. And I don't even know that you broke stride. You just <laughs> kept going. You can't see the bottom. You have no idea how deep it is. And we couldn't see the bottom. You just kept going. I stayed on the shore to just so I could tell the rescuers where the body went in. <laughs> This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Matt Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today, we're taking you to the Badlands of North Dakota, the home of Theodore Roosevelt National Park. In this episode, we talk about the park with its rugged beauty and iconic wildlife and the man for whom the park is named. Teddy Roosevelt had a huge impact on protecting America's natural resources, so it's fitting that a piece of this magnificent landscape was carved out to give tribute to his life and his contribution to conservation. That's right. We all owe a huge debt of gratitude to his impact on our public lands. And we tell the story of how this young man from New York, born into wealth and privilege, came to have a national park named after him in this remote area of the Great Plains. Plus, we share some of the things we did when we visited the park, and we have suggestions for making your visit a memorable one. All this and more coming up next. For all of you who've been listening to our show for a while now, you know that we try to include a history channel whenever we can, and one name more than any other is mentioned in the early history of our national parks, and that is Teddy Roosevelt. Since Teddy Roosevelt played such an important part in establishing parks, protecting public lands, we thought it would be a good topic for a new episode. The park that bears his name and a little history about him. So much to talk about. When you dig into his past and all the things that he did for public lands and conservation, it, it, the list goes on forever. It's remarkable. We thought about doing a, an episode just about Teddy Roosevelt and his influence on a lot of our national parks, but we've also had a lot of requests for a podcast episode about specifically Teddy Roosevelt National Park, so we thought we would combine the two. <laughs> it's a great park. We love visiting there, and I'm kind of surprised when I went back to all of our episodes that we haven't done an episode on this. I know. I'm not sure why that is because it is a really special park. I love it because it kind of feels like Badlands National Park. It has that same type of landscape. In fact, I think the area is called the Badlands of Teddy Roosevelt, right? It's called the Badlands of North Dakota. Okay. Right. The whole area is. And so the park is just part of the overall Badlands. Yeah. And then... Two of our favorite animals to watch live in this park, and that would be bison and the cute little prairie dogs. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you always find them together. I know. Yeah, yeah. They, they seem to like each other a lot. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they do like each other. Uh, yeah, the, the prairie dogs are always, if, if you see a prairie dog town, you know bison are around and vice versa. Yeah, it's interesting. You would think that the bison would trample all over their little mounds and their little, their towns, I guess they're called prairie dog towns. 
pounds. You would think the bison would just stampede right across those things, but maybe they don't. Maybe they maybe they make paths around them. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what is, it is about those two, but they're always together. <laughs> yes. All right. Anyway, we have a lot to talk about. And Matt, I have to say, you did a fantastic job on the outline. It's always good when Matt does the outline because there are <laughs> pages and pages of bullet points organized in a very chronological, very neat order. And when I did this episode, I wanted to brighten your day and I put a few mistakes in there because I I know that the thing that gives you the most joy in life is to find a mistake that I've made. I wasn't going to mention that mistake, <laughs> but now that you brought it up. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you, you mentioned them. I did notice on the outline that you had that Teddy Roosevelt National Park is the only national park that's named after a person. And that is actually incorrect. I, that was a softball. <laughs> I put that in there for you because I knew that you would know that Mount Rainier uh-huh. is named after a person. Peter Rainier. Yeah. I, I know that it just gives you so much joy to find them. Uh, I wanted to brighten your day. So there you go. That's right. All right. Well, let's get started. Do you want to talk about uh, the park first? Sure. Let's talk about it. Okay. It is several units of land in, like we said, the Badlands of North Dakota, located about 40 miles west of the town of Dickinson, North Dakota. Mm -hmm. And it covers over 70,000 acres, 70,446 acres to be exact. There's the north unit, the south unit. And then a little teeny tiny unit called the Elkhorn Ranch. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Really, the south unit is the biggest one and gets the most visitors. Yeah, that's the one most people go to. In fact, when we first visited, we only went to the south unit. And then it wasn't until years later when we went back and we also visited the north unit. So we'll be talking about both of those too. Yeah, another landscape feature of the parks is that the Little Missouri River, it flows through all three of the units. Another interesting thing is that the Matahe Trail also runs through all three units. And this is a popular trail. We'll talk about this trail a a little bit more later on in the episode. It's a popular trail with mountain bikers. However, mountain biking on trails is not allowed in the park. So there's actually workarounds if you're doing the Matahe Trail and you're doing it on a mountain bike. You have to do the side trails that go around the park. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I did not know that. Well, yeah. There's something I just learned there you just go. this very minute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's other, Karen, there's other things that you'll learn. All right. We've always called Teddy Roosevelt National Park a hidden gem because not as many people go to this park as they do some of the bigger named parks. They received in 2021 about 850,000 visitors, recreational visitors. So, you know, when it's under a million, that's a pretty small number. It's up there kind of a little bit out of the way. No real big metropolitan areas close by, so that's understandable. But it also makes the fact that there are relatively few visitors, it makes it a great experience because a lot of times it's just not that crowded. And that's one of the things I love about this park too. It it never seems, at least the times we've been there, it never seems very crowded. Uh, It feels like you have some solitude in this particular park. So I love that about it too. Now it's named after Teddy Roosevelt because in his early life, he spent some time in the 
Badlands of North Dakota, started a couple of ranches, and later they made a national park out of some of this area. But he wasn't the first person to settle in this area. Matter of fact, white settlers, Europeans that came to America weren't the first people to live in this area. There have been Native Americans living in the Badlands of North Dakota for centuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And also, this is yet another park where the CCC, the Civilian Conservation Corps, came in in the 1930s and 40s, and they developed roads and trails and structures and things like that. As a matter of fact, we will be doing a podcast episode about the CCC, the influence they had on the parks, and some things we found out that are really fascinating and interesting in current day. Yeah. So a little promo, huh? Yes. You're doing some promo <laughs> doing work some there? Doing some promo. Stay okay. tuned. <laughs> All right, Karen, you know what it's time for? What's it time for, Matt? It is time for everyone's favorite segment of our podcast episodes, History Channel. Wait, 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 wait a second. Do you think you're doing History Channel? Oh, oh I'm doing History Channel. I, was, I wasn't going to tell you... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm telling you, as we're recording in front of everybody who listens, but the History Channel called, (laughs) (laughs) and they're interested in in an audition tape from me. Is that right? Yeah. So I I told them I'd try to squeak one in. Okay, Matt. Well, no pressure now. So go ahead, Matt. Let's, Let's hear what you have. Okay. And Karen, when I go through the history... Feel free to correct me if you see or hear me make any mistakes, okay? Uh, oh, I will. All right. I'll give a brief uh, bit of history on the park. This this whole area, back in 1935, they designated a, a lot of the area that's now the National Park. They called it the Roosevelt Recreation Demonstration Area. I think that was in deference to and honoring Teddy Roosevelt. And in 1946, the land was transferred to the United States Fish and Wildlife Service. It became the Theodore Roosevelt National Wildlife Refuge. Then the South Unit became Theodore Roosevelt National Memorial Park on April 25th, 1947, in memory of Teddy Roosevelt. And then in 1978, uh, they added some additional land and a wilderness area, and it became a national park, Theodore Roosevelt National Park, in 1978. Wow. So you're saying here, let, let me see if I've got this. First, it was a recreation demonstration area. Then it was a national wildlife refuge. And then it was a national memorial park. And then it became a national park. Is that correct? I think that's what I just said. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Are you making fun of my history channel? No, no I'm not at all. I, that's pretty amazing because because that has never come up before in all of my history channels. Usually it either goes straight to national park or it was a national monument then becomes a national park. Well, I think you could probably take a few things away from my little <laughs> History Channel segment, uh, maybe to help you with your, your future History Channel okay. segments. Yeah. Uh, okay. Is, are you done? Can I? Should I clap? Is that, is that it? Or? Normally, the other co-host doesn't speak when, <laughs> when the History Channel uh, segment's being read, but yes, you, you can go ahead. Okay. It's, it's, it's your turn. Okay. 
All right. That was excellent. I, I will say that was very, very good. All right. Let's talk about Teddy Roosevelt's connection to the park, specifically to this park. When he was 24 years old, this would have been in 1883, he first traveled to the Dakotas to hunt bison and experience the Wild West. And he fell in love with the rugged landscape of the Badlands. And it was at that time he decided to invest in a ranching operation uh, with two other partners. Yeah, and that's pretty amazing for a 24-year-old. Now, he was born into wealth and privilege, and he was a sickly young child, and he decided as at an early age himself that he was going to improve his body and what he calls live the strenuous life in order to build up his physical stamina. And so, yeah, from an early age, he made himself do difficult things. And this is one of them. At age 24, he goes out to the Wild West, loved the outdoors, loved nature, loved animals, and was it was a hunter. I think when we were 24, we were living in your parents' basement. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> He named this ranch the Maltese Cross, and then he spent the next few years in North Dakota managing this ranch, writing books, and becoming involved in local politics. Yeah, and he wasn't there very long. He was only there for a few years off and on, but that experience had a profound impact on his later career and really sparked his interest in conservation, which, as we'll talk about later, I mean, he did a ton of things for public lands in the United States. What I found was interesting and tragic, but but interesting at the same time. In 1884, okay, so he first went to the Badlands in 1883. I think he was back in New York in 1884, early 1884, and his mother and his wife both died on the same day of different causes. And this really had a big impact on him as a person, as as you can imagine. Then he went back uh, seeking solitude in the Badlands. And, and at that time, that summer, he started his second ranch, the Elkhorn Ranch. And that's the one that's the third unit is named after. It's about 35 miles north of the town of Medora. So because of his interest in the in his ranches and in hunting in the West, he started writing and publishing pieces in Eastern newspapers and magazines. Yeah, he wrote, wrote several books while he was out there. Yeah, so he was there off and on a few more times. But in 1903, when he was president, he made his last visit. Yeah, a few years in the Badlands of North Dakota, but uh, then he went on to his political career. Let's talk about his influence on the national parks and some of his other conservation efforts. Yeah, we could talk literally for hours on this, but we'll do uh, the short version. First of all, with regard to national parks, he signed into law the creation of, well, at the time, five different national parks. Now, a couple of those were later, their entity type was changed to non-national parks. But the three that remain are Crater Lake, Wind Cave, and Mesa Verde. So he's responsible for establishing those. And then he is credited with creating 18 national monuments. And some of those became national parks later. A few of them are Devil's Tower, Petrified Forest National Monument, which later became a national park, Cinder Cone National Monument, which then became part of Lassen Volcanic National Park, Grand Canyon Game Preserve, which became Grand Canyon National Park, Pinnacles National Monument, which we all now know is Pinnacles National Park, and he created Natural Bridges National Monument in Utah, Utah's first 
National Monument and many others. One other thing that I didn't realize that I learned when we were researching this episode was that Teddy Roosevelt created the U.S. National Forest Service to protect forests and wildlife. And he is credited with creating 150 national forests. That's just amazing. I know. He also created the U.S. Reclamation Service, which manages the water resources in the West. Uh, probably not everyone is super happy about the Reclamation Service because it built a lot of dams. But, you know, at the time, that was something that was uh, needed in the West. He also, in 1906, signed the American Antiquities Act, which became incredibly important later on because it gave the President of the United States the ability to quickly protect public areas and it you know stopped looting it stopped uh, people from cutting down large trees in certain areas and so, so that was that was a very important act to pass absolutely and as we've recently talked about it saved a lot of the archaeological ruins in the southwest from being looted and vandalized and destroyed okay but Karen Most importantly, he was involved with bison-related conservation activities. Yes, and Teddy Roosevelt is one of the individuals who actually saved the bison species in the United States from extinction. He helped. Yes, he he did help. Yes, He didn't do it single-handedly, but he used the power of his influence to really help the efforts. Matter of fact, he established the National Bison Range. It originally had 40 bison there. And it served as the model for other wildlife preserves. Yes, that is a great place. There's a wildlife loop road that you can drive in the warmer weather months when it's not closed due to snow. But if you're heading up to Glacier, that's a really nice stop to make is the National Bison Range. Yeah. He was also involved in creating the American Bison Society in 1905. Uh, That was created at the Bronx Zoo, of all places, in New York City. Fourteen people originally formed that organization, and he was president at the time. He was named the first honorary president of that organization. And and that particular society, they did a lot to reestablish bison herds around the country when there were so few of them and they were trying to prevent them from going extinct. That's right. And we talked about Wind Cave National Park in a previous episode and how this group sent bison to the park to establish a herd there. And they traveled on train from the East Coast. And then when they got there, they had to load them onto horse-drawn wagons. They lashed the crates to the wagons, (laughs) I think you said. And it's a fascinating story how they really saved the bison from their efforts and reestablished them in these areas, also including the Wichita Mountains Reserve. Yeah, and then this society, the American Bison Society, they were the ones who provided uh, some of the original bison to the National Bison Ring. Yes. Now, Karen, I was going to turn this next fun fact into a pop quiz. Mm-hmm. Um But it's really more, I would call it a trivia trick. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll explain. So Teddy Roosevelt was the youngest person ever to serve as president. But if you're ever in a trivia contest, this, this piece of fun information might help you get that extra point that you need to win, right? If you get the question, who was the youngest person ever to be elected president of the United States? What would the answer be? 
It would not be Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. It would be John Kennedy. Right. John Kennedy was 43 when he was elected president. However, Teddy Roosevelt wasn't elected president initially. He became president. He was vice president to William McKinley when McKinley was shot and killed in 1901. Teddy Roosevelt was 42 when he assumed the presidency. So he was the youngest person to ever become president, but he wasn't elected. Very nice, Matt. There you go. So when I'm on Jeopardy in a few months, I will know the answer to that. Do you, are you planning on being <laughs> on Jeopardy? You never know. <laughs> okay, okay, Karen, but I do have a pop quiz. Oh, no. <laughs> Pop quizzes are fun. Oh, how the turntables turn. <laughs> yes, I have a pop quiz. Okay. So we just learned that Roosevelt became president when McKinley was assassinated, right? When McKinley was shot, Roosevelt was on vacation at the time, and he had to travel to the hospital to visit him. Initially thought he would be fine, but turned out that, that he took turn for the worse and ended up passing away. And so, Karen, the question is, in what town was Roosevelt sworn in as the president of the United States? Ooh, that is a tough one. Um, I would say, since he loved the Badlands so much and, and loved North Dakota, I'm going to say he had his swearing in in Medora, South Dakota. Is that your final answer? That's my final answer. Okay. No, he was visiting McKinley in the hospital in the town of Buffalo. Buffalo, New York. That's where he was sworn in. Oh, okay. What a coincidence that Roosevelt did so much for the bison, and he was sworn in as president in the town of Buffalo. That's kind of a fun fact. It Well, it's, <laughs> it makes for a perfect pop quiz. It does. Yeah. All right. Thank you for that. <laughs> One more thing I wanted to mention before we move on to the park itself is that Teddy Roosevelt died suddenly in 1919 at the age of 60. So he was a youngster. Yes, he was. <laughs> and some believe it was sudden and unexpected, and some believe it was partially due to illnesses he contracted in the Amazon. And I read a very fascinating book called The River of Doubt where Roosevelt and a small team of men set off to descend an unmapped tributary of the Amazon. This was so interesting. An extraordinary story of all of the hardships they faced along the journey, like losing their canoes and supplies in the rapids, Indian attacks, starvation, disease, giant snakes. And, you know, what was incredible about this, Matt, is that you know, in this day and age, when a president finishes his term, he's protected by the Secret Service. And Teddy Roosevelt sets off on this journey with not only zero protection, but the, the guy who planned the trip had no clue what he was doing, didn't bring enough supplies, didn't bring enough food. So this very important person sets off on this wild journey, and they almost died numerous times while on the Amazon. Anyway, River of Doubt, it's a fascinating book. Yeah, so you can get that book on Amazon, too. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that out there. You are on your A-game today. <laughs> I, I am. Well, I, I did the outline, Karen. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, so that is a little bit, maybe a little bit more than a little bit, about Teddy Roosevelt's influence over public lands in the United States. All right, Karen, let's start talking about the park itself. 
Okay, so we're gonna talk about the south unit first. This is the one that most people visit. It's a little bit bigger. It is about 38 miles west of Dickinson, the town, and it's got two visitor centers. There's the Painted Canyon in the east. That's the closest one you'll come to if you're driving from Dickinson. And it also has a nice visitor center in Medora, the south unit visitor center. Right, the little town of Medora is really the headquarters of the park. Yeah, and so what to do in the park, one of our favorite things to do is the scenic drive. It is some of the best bison watching that you'll ever find in the national park or anywhere for that matter. It's a 36-mile loop road. It kind of starts and ends in Medora, and every time we've driven it, there have been multiple bison sightings. Matter of fact, more than a couple of times we've had herds just come and surround our vehicle, and we just sit there and, and watch them walk past. Yes, and it's been amazing because one of our visits, there were little bison babies, the calves everywhere next to their mothers, and they surrounded our truck. And the 36-mile loop road is something you're absolutely going to want to do. But if you want something that takes a little bit more energy, there are several great hikes. Now, we'll tell you a couple of the ones that we've done. We, we haven't done them all, but the few that we've done are, are fantastic. Let's start in the far west end of the south unit. There is a north and south petrified forest trail. Those are two different trails. They go through areas of pretty spectacular specimens of petrified wood. Okay, I was so shocked when we did this hike because there are huge chunks of petrified wood laying everywhere. And the thing is, too, we were the only people out there. We never saw another human being. And you're just walking by these huge pieces. You know, some of the places we've been where there's petrified wood, they're behind a chain link fence or they're protected in some way so people don't mess with them. These are just out there and they're spectacular. Now, we did the North Trail and we went out and back to the truck. You can do both in one big loop. It's 10 miles, which I would think would be fun to do. We didn't have enough time. To yeah, that, do. Would, that would be a great loop to do. Yeah, but you could see both of them in one hike and that is amazing. Okay, so yeah, definitely recommend that. You have to actually leave the park to the west and take a kind of a side road back north into the park. And if you want to do this hike, definitely stop at the visitor center in Medora and get directions from a ranger. Another loop that we did, it's not a planned loop, but you can kind of do this. Uh, you can make the loop yourself over by the Peaceful Valley area of the park. And we'll talk about Peaceful Valley in a second. We parked at a little parking area by the river, the Little Missouri River, we crossed the river and then we hiked the Big Plateau Trail for maybe, I don't know, two or three miles. Then we took a left on the Hay Trail, hiked that maybe a couple miles, took another left on the Elkhorn Trail back to the river. And that was a fantastic loop probably, I don't know, seven or eight miles. And and the reason I'm being not precise on the mileage is there's a lot of little side trails that you can kind of make your own loop. And they're pretty well marked. Right. And so one of the rangers in the visitor center recommended this to us. And it was funny because he told us, now at the start, there's a little water crossing. And I'm thinking like, you know, a little creek, maybe we'll get our feet wet. <laughs> and we get to the river. It's the little Missouri River. <laughs> it was a pretty big river. 
It's a big river. And we stood at the banks and we're like, is this what he meant? It was like, two or we, 300 feet wide. It, yes. It, it, yes. It, and it was probably, well, for me, it, I would say it was up to my thighs. For you, it was probably, what, knee deep? Yeah, it was a real river. Yes. So just note that. And obviously, there's there are going to be times when the flow is higher and times when it's lower. So you'll just have to, you know, maybe go eyeball it and see. But you are Definitely, definitely getting your hiking boots wet on this one. <laughs> I, I thought it was funny when we did that hike. You were in front. Usually I'm in, in, in the lead, mm-hmm. but you were, for some reason, you were in the front and you were just marching along. And I don't even know that you broke stride. You just <laughs> kept going. You can't see the bottom. You have no idea how deep it is. And we couldn't see the bottom. You just kept going. I stayed on the shore to just... So I could tell the rescuers where the body went in. <laughs> and you just kept going and going and got deeper and deeper. And then then it started being more shallow and more shallow. And yeah. so then I, I, I went in also. I figured that if there were if there was going to be like a steep drop off, like I was gonna step in and go over my head, I figured the ranger would have told us that, right? I mean M- maybe. <laughs> Anyway, it was fun. It was actually very fun. We felt like we were adventurous. So anyway, you you will have to cross the river. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is we had almost completed the loop and we were back. We could see the river, but we still had another mile or two to get back to our truck. And two things happened. One is a thunderstorm had cropped up. This was late afternoon now, and it was thundering and there were these huge black clouds. So we were, you know, we were hustling to get back to the truck before all hell broke loose. And all of a sudden we round this corner and there are probably, I was looking at the picture again, Matt, probably 50 bison standing on the trail, around the trail, everywhere. Yeah. And that was just about the time where we were learning about how to read bison. And, you know, one one of the, the tips is their tail generally tells you what mood they're in. And if the tails go up, that means they're agitated. And so we're always looking for tails up when we're in and around bison herd. We didn't know what we were going to do because the thunderstorm was coming. Yes. Uh, we ended up having to skirt them. We got had to go way off the trail and we were still pretty close to them. We had to hike right along an edge of a cliff, which then meant we had no escape if they decided to right. mess with us. But yeah, we got around them. And back to the car before it started raining. We just barely made it. And, you know, it's one of those things where there was no way, absolutely no way we were going to walk through that bison herd. There were babies and they were so closely packed together. It was absolutely impossible. So, you know, we had a choice of either wait them out and they weren't moving or skirt the cliff and try to go up high, which is what we did. Yeah. So that was a second little adventure on the trail. But I have to say, I loved every minute of it and Also, we crossed through a prairie dog town. They were popping up their heads, talking to us, and the trail literally went right through the middle of their town. Yeah, so that was a fun hike, and it ended well, fortunately. (laughs) Uh, so, So I mentioned Peaceful Valley which is where the parking area is to to start that trail. And what is Peaceful Valley, Karen? Well, it's one of the oldest dude ranches in the state of North Dakota, which started out as a simple cabin built in 1883. And over the years, it changed hands and expanded with the ranch house being built around 1885. And then the Olson family bought it in 1915, and the ranch became a tourist destination when they offered 
guided horseback rides and camping and roundups. Later, uh, they sold the ranch to the U.S. government in 1936, and it became the headquarters for the CCC. And so in 1947, when the area became a national park, it became the park headquarters. And, uh, you know, since they've moved the park headquarters to Medora, but the buildings are still there and they've renovated them. Uh, so you can go visit that. But that's that's kind of the area over by which we parked to start this hike. Right. Very cool area. One other trail we did during one of our visits was the Talkington Trail. And that was a good trail. We saw some wild horses, which was cool to see. But just note, we were there in April and we didn't realize it, but it was tick season. And when we that's a hike that when we got back to the car, we unfortunately realized <laughs> we were covered with ticks. Right. So. We, we figured this out as we were driving <laughs> 70 miles an hour. <laughs> On our way to South Dakota. <laughs> I also wanted to mention when we were there the last time, we asked one of the rangers where his favorite place is to watch the sunset, and he recommended the Wind Canyon Trail. Now, it's very short. It's only a half-mile round trip, but you walk up to this spot above the Little Missouri River, and it is fantastic because you're looking directly to the west. You're seeing the sunset over the river. It's very scenic and very beautiful. And that was a popular area. Probably the best place in the entire area to see the sunset. So you're probably there with some other visitors. Right. Sure. So we talked about the Matahay Trail uh, earlier a couple of times. Here are a few details about the trail. It is more than just in the national parks. This is a 144-mile single-track trail, and it winds through the Little Missouri National Grasslands in the North Dakota Badlands. And so it's a very popular single-track mountain bike trail. However, as we mentioned, you can't ride the mountain bikes through the national parks, and so they have created alternative trails around the park. However, the entire trail is open to hikers and horseback riders. Horseback riding, that would be a fun way to see it. Right, and you you can horseback uh, ride in the park, so mm-hmm. that's great. Those North Dakota Badlands are beautiful, and that is an incredible trail that takes you through them. So that, that would be fun to do, maybe you and I, just on foot. Instead of <laughs> wait, how many miles did you say? 144. <laughs> there are, mm. I think, ten or so camping sites okay. along, along the trail. So, so just, if you did 20 miles a day for a week, we could do it. Yeah, we All can right. do 20 miles if we're not doing anything else. You get 20 <laughs> miles in. I don't know what the elevation. Yeah, changes. Well, we'll have to check that out. All right, put that in the bucket on the side of the bucket. All right, so moving on to the north unit. Let's talk about what there is to do there. Okay, so uh, the north unit's about 70 to 75 miles from Dickinson, uh, north of the south unit. It's separate. The land areas do not connect. But here's another little quizzical question for you, Karen. Okay. Okay, why does it take about two hours to drive from Medora to the north unit? but only 10 minutes to drive from the north unit back to Medora. This pop quiz I know the answer to because we were very confused. It's in a different time zone. It is a different time zone. (laughs) Even though you're driving just straight north, you're not driving west. Right. Uh, It's in a different time zone. So it's an hour later there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so there is a visitor center there, and there is also a scenic drive. It's about 28 miles out and back, and there are 10 overlooks along there where you can hopefully spot bison. We didn't have much luck the time we visited. (laughs) No, when we visited the North Unit, we've only been up there once. It was the day after a 
pretty severe thunderstorm and we did a hike, but we didn't see any bison either on the hike or on the scenic drive. And in, in what was your theory, Karen? My theory was that they were spooked by the storm and they sought cover either under rock shelters or under trees for their little babies. And they were they were hunkering down was they were, my theory. They were still hunkering down the they next day. They were still hunkering. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some hiking trails there. The hike that we did, which was fantastic, was the Buckhorn Trail. It's almost 11 miles and about 1,000 feet of elevation gain. But it was beautiful. I, I really enjoyed that yes, hike. Yes, that was a fantastic hike. Lots of cool rock from. And then the other unit we'll just briefly mention, because we haven't been there, is the Elkhorn Ranch unit. Yeah, you have to take side roads that are outside the park to get up there. And then then you get to the unit, there's a little parking area. Apparently, it's, it's beautiful up there. Only the foundation or the footings of the ranch, the Teddy Roosevelt's Elkhorn Ranch, are still there. But apparently, it's it's a beautiful area just to see. So what happened to the ranch? <laughs> Is that a pop quiz? <laughs> I'm just curious. Because they moved that Maltese cabin, right? It's right by the visitor center at, at the south unit. So you the can ma- see the Maltese cabin. The Maltese cross cabin? Yes. <laughs> yes, they moved that. It wasn't built in Medora, although it's in Medora now, right by the visitor center. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as Elkhorn Ranch, Roosevelt sold that ranch and buildings in 1898. The buildings were stripped of their furnishings, and by 1901, every scrap of Elkhorn Ranch had disappeared except for some foundations. So the National Park Service never had the chance to save it or restore it. That's a shame. Yeah, it would have been cool to see where Roosevelt spent his early days in North Dakota. All right, moving on. Let's talk about one of the most important things to us when you're in the park. Where can you eat? <laughs> well, I don't think there's a whole lot up by the north unit, but in the south unit, a uh, little town of Medora, it's not huge, but it, it's big enough. There's a few restaurants. We always go to the Little Missouri Saloon Yes, because they have great pizza. They do. And I just like the name saloon in any type of restaurant or bar, but Medora is darling. It has that old west look and feel to it and it sits right outside the park i mean it is literally right there we're going to talk about places to stay and medora would be definitely be the closest there are a few hotels there including do you remember this one matt the rough riders hotel does that ring a bell no okay i don't remember that (laughs) Well, we talked about it in our Halloween episode about haunted National Park Lodges. So this one, this Rough Riders Hotel is supposedly haunted and Teddy Roosevelt actually stayed here. And you can book that very room if you want to. Well, that would be fun. Yes, we definitely have to do that because we always stay in Dickinson. Right. Dickinson's, you could also stay there. It's a larger town. It's got national chains. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. But Medora's right there. Right. And Dickinson is a, about an hour away. So next time, I think I would want to stay in, in uh, Medora. Yeah, might do that. Mm-hmm. Well, you can also camp. There are a couple of campgrounds. In the south unit, there's the Cottonwood Campground. Now, part of it is closed in the winter, but uh, there is an area of it that's open all year round. In total, it has 76 sites. 12 of those are tent only. There's one group site. There are no electric hookups. There's no dump station. They do have potable water, but that's only seasonal. Now, this is the most important detail for you, Karen, because I know um, (laughs) you always ask about this. They do have flush toilets. I love that. But those are only seasonal. Oh. But Karen, they have vault toilets (laughs) year round. Well, 
you know, if we were going to camp there, we wouldn't do it in the winter anyway. No, so. probably not. Yeah, yeah. So you can reserve those sites on recreation.gov. Yeah, and the North Unit has the Juniper Campground, which is open all year round. If you like to camp in the winter, you can camp there. 50 sites, six of them are tent only. And there is a seasonal dump station there. Always good to know. Also, they have some uh, flush toilets seasonally and vault toilets all year round. You can also reserve those sites on recreation.gov. And there is one other campground. I just thought I would mention this because I know how much you love the CCC. It's called the CCC Campground. It's just south of the border of the north unit of the national park. It's in the Dakota Prairie grassland, so it's National Forest Service land. It has 38 sites, and that's also on recreation.gov. Good to know. All right, Karen, how many days would you recommend people spend? Well, I think at least two days for sure. So the last time we went, we packed it in in two days. We did the, I think we, we got there in the morning. We talked to the ranger about that, the hike where we crossed the Little Missouri River. So we did that. That took a big chunk of time. Then after that thunderstorm rolled through, we did the that scenic loop drive and looked at the bison. The next morning, we got up early, drove up to the north unit, did the hike. Then we came back to the south unit, went and did the petrified loop hike, came back to the park and did the that short little hike up to the overlook for sunset. So we packed everything in in two days. If you want to do all that, you'll need two days, maybe three days even. Yeah, yeah. if you did three days, it's a little less hectic. Sure. I'd, I'd like to do that itinerary again. I would too. Yeah. Right. And maybe add in a couple more hikes. So yeah, a lot more to do there than you might imagine. All right. Best time to visit the park. This is a park where really spring and fall are going to be your best bets. The weather, it can get hot in the summer and cold and snowy and icy in the winter. So spring and fall are really best times. We like the spring, although you know there are more ticks, but we do like the spring because there are baby bison, mm-hmm. usually in April time frame. Parks waking up, there's wildflowers. There's also other wildlife to see, elk, oh, uh, yeah. pronghorn. There's wild horses, like mm-hmm. we said. So just remember, if you're going in the summer, it can get pretty warm. Right. So you might not want to schedule hikes in the mid-afternoon. You know, maybe that's when you do the scenic drives in the two different units. Because, yeah, it can get up into the mid-80s or even higher than that. Yeah, fall is beautiful. We've been there in the fall because the leaves are starting to change color. So all those are good. I would say maybe not so much winter (laughs) unless you like snow and ice. Well, and... They do open the units for cross-country skiing and snowshoeing and in some areas, snowmobiling. So, you know, if you're into that, which Mm -hmm. we've had some fantastic snowshoeing adventures in national parks. So that that's also available to you in the winter. We were thinking that we might head back to Teddy Roosevelt in early April, but I was just looking at the weather. And currently right now, it's late March, and the high today was nine degrees. Yeah. So <laughs> we crossed that off the list. <laughs> At this, this time of the year, we're looking for warm weather. Right. We're, we're done with the cold. <laughs> we are so done with the cold. But, you know, I think one of the reasons that Teddy Roosevelt doesn't see as many visitors as, you know, some of the other national parks is because it's not on the way to anything, and there aren't any national park sites clustered right around. It so I think it gets tends to get ignored. But if you're doing the uh, South Dakota parks and you're doing a big road trip, it's a great add-on. Yeah, and we've actually done that. It's only about four hours north of Rapid City. 
Right. And that entire Black Hills area. So this would be your opportunity to add it on without having to visit it separately, and which might be a huge undertaking depending on where you live. So definitely add it on to those South Dakota parks. Yeah, it's a it's a gem. It is the road less traveled and, and hopefully it kind of stays that way. And it's wonderful that Teddy Roosevelt has this particular national park named after him to honor him. That's right. So that's all we have for today. Thanks for tuning in. And for the folks at the History Channel who are listening, you can contact me directly. No need to run your offers through Karen. Well, I hate to tell you this, but they've already contacted me. Oh, have they? Yeah, yeah, and they asked, who's this Matt guy and why are you letting him do your History Channel segments? (laughs) So I'm getting their attention. I read you. All right, enough of that. We have some road trips coming up over the next few months. And in between those trips, we will be putting out some really fascinating new episodes. We have one coming up about the CCC, the Civilian Conservation Corps, and how it impacted our public lands. It's a topic that's a lot more interesting than it sounds. It is. And one thing that everyone is going to want to know about There are currently 76 CCC worker statues that have been installed in parks all across the country. And now it's become a thing to find these statues and photograph them. So, you know, Matt, that might have to be our next goal. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) To travel the country in search of 76 Iron Mike statues of the CCC workers. Yes, because now it's eating at me. There's one in Zion National Park that we never noticed. There's one in our Washington's Deception Pass State Park that we never noticed. So we have to go back and start collecting these photos. I think it would be a cool thing to do. Okay, we'll put that in the bucket. Okay. Okay, but before we go, we want to send a special thank you to all of you who have signed up for our Patreon account. We truly appreciate it. Your support helps us continue to put out content like these podcast episodes, as well as all of our other social content. That's right. Now, we put a link in the show notes of this episode that will take you to our Patreon account where you can check it out and sign up if you're interested. I think that we now have almost 20 bonus audio and video episodes out there, don't we, Matt? That is correct, and more in the works. Right. So, okay, that is it for us. We will see you all next time. Mm-hmm.